How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Have you heard the one about the crazy Hungarian? <laughs> Forcing everyone to scrub and wash their hands. Preaching how our fingers carry child bed fever. How can you believe in <laughs> such a crazy man? Look at this basin by the bed. If you don't wash, he'll bite off your head. And shout at us and waste our time. Telling us to wash our hands with chlorinated lime. That's his solution. <laughs> chlorinated lime. Perform our ablutions. He must have lost his mind. Everybody prays crazy Dr. Semmelwash. <laughs> He's done all the research. He's not full of bosh. We are so amazed that we just go, gosh, Dr. Semmelwash, you're such a crazy man. <laughs> Here comes on the ward this absurd Dr. Oh-so-wise, scaring all the women with his staring eyes, washing till his hands are raw and smelling nice. Drop it, Dr. Semmelweis, you're just Hungarian. <laughs> made the life of students even worse. Dr. Semmelwash, he's our curse. Who the hell does he think he is? This Hungarian revolutionist. Everybody prays crazy Dr. Semmelwash. He's done all the research. He's not full of bosh. We are so amazed that we just go, gosh, Dr. Semmelwash, let's all give him a hand. That smells like roses, <laughs> Dr. Semmelwash. You're such a crazy man, offhandedly speaking, <laughs> Dr. Semmelwash. You're a joke throughout the land. Gosh! Via Zoom conference, The Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles. Mark, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, it's like they get two for one today. You know, it's great. You're getting a lot right now. Yeah, I bet I am. I bet I am. Thank you very much. And I've got an incredible guest on the Zoom studio with me, Dr. Eugene Beresin, who I will just do full disclosure, is my training director from back in the mid-1990s, one of the most influential people in my life, a true mentor, and I am just so delighted to have you here, Dr. Bereson. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Thanks a lot, Joe. I'm glad to be here. Me too. What's that, almost, is it 25 years now? Yeah. Whoa, 25 <laughs> years ago. And Dr. Bereson really uh, has, has been an influential person in my career and my thinking, uh, but is now the, is it the executive director of the Clay Center? Yes, that's right. And you want to tell them a little bit what the Clay Center is? Oh, absolutely. The, uh, the MGH Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds is an online uh, website that provides um, blogs, podcasts, and videos to support the emotional, social, and behavioral well-being of young people. 
It's yeah. largely geared for parents and caretakers, but actually uh, a lot of young, you know, folks, uh, adolescents and college age kids uh, are, you know, tuning in and and, uh, and listening to our stuff. Yeah, and, and it's great. And I, I also know that you have so many different guest authors who are writing blogs for you and all sorts of things. It's it's really terrific. How do, how do they get there, Gene? Yeah, yeah. The website is mghclaycenter.org. We've got about almost 400 blogs and probably about three or four seasons of podcasts. And we have a YouTube channel, MGH uh, Clay Center, for a whole bunch of videos uh, and um, lots of material. Yeah, it's really terrific, folks. It's a great resource. And that's part of why I want to have Dr. Bresson here tonight, because we're still talking about, um, you know, the coronavirus, the effect on our lives, and especially on adolescents and kids who are not in school and are at home. And parents have an opportunity now, I think, to, to maybe reconnect in ways that we were all moving so fast, we just didn't have the time to do it. So let's slow down and, and do it. So let's let's talk a little bit about what do you think may be going on with the kids who are out of school at home right now? What about the possibility that they may get sort of depressed? I think I think they will at some point. But you know that there's a lot of different kinds of depression. I mean, uh, right now it's a novel situation. They have tons of time. They're you know doing relaxing. They're playing video games. They're you know watching TV. They're binge watching on Netflix. I mean, all the kids that I've talked with. But you know, there's also the FOMA phenomena. You know, fear of missing out. And uh, uh, this is a time when I think digital media actually. Uh, is to the benefit of kids. You know, we all worry about digital media and the downsides of, of social media, but um, kids are using all sorts of digital media. They're using Instagram, they're using Snapchat, they're using, uh, uh, they're texting, they're using Facebook, uh, and it's it's an important way for them to stay connected. It, I think it's it's actually going to uh, help them help prevent depression the more they can stay connected. Absolutely, and this is this is absolutely part of why we are doing uh, so many of the Dr. Joe shows as well, because we are desperately trying to keep our audience connected as well in this time of potential isolation. Um, how can parents help their kids also to to thwart off depression when maybe they? Yeah. So so here's the thing. I mean, number one is that. Um, you know, uh, parents need to control their own anxiety. A lot of times kids will get depressed or anxious when they see their parents worrying, and we're all freaking out. I don't know one parent that isn't worried to death. Um, uh, and, and, and so parents need to control their own anxiety. So that means monitor your anxiety, limit the news that you're watching, get enough information so that you're well, up to date, but turn off the, the, the TVs and the smartphones and the computers. Um, do the things that help you relieve anxiety, exercise, get enough sleep, meditate, do yoga, listen to music, uh, because your ability to help your kids is going to be best if you are calm and in control and your kids will pick up on it. And if they do, you got to be honest and say, yeah, I'm worried. And what are you worried about? So that's number one. Then the second thing they need to do is don't assume that you know what your kids know. Uh, I would ask them, mm -hmm. uh, what have you learned about corona? What are you worried about? Where have you learned about it? 
you have any questions for me? You know, have conversations. And this is for kids at different developmental levels. So for preschoolers, you're not going to ask them these questions. You're basically going to kind of play games with them and turn off all the media. But for school-age kids and teenagers and young adults, I think having conversations and asking what, what they know, what they're worried about, and what they're feeling is a really good place to start because then you can address their concerns and fend off emotional disturbances. Mm -hmm. So really meet your child where they are. Yes. Yeah. And see what they need. They may need, they may need reassurance. They may need comforting. They may need to be left alone. You know, it, it really is important for you to check in with them and, um, uh, and attend to their needs. And all kids, as parents know, you're the expert on your kids. You know, a shy kid, an aggressive kid, this is where the biology of your I am thing comes in, Joe. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. there are going to be kids who are going to be impulsive, and their kids are going to be angry and aggressive, and their kids are going to be withdrawn and shut down. And parents are going to have to improvise, you know, improvise and um, address the kids in a way that they can hear hear the parent and be seen and be known yeah it's, it's so true and it is as, as, as Jean is saying every one of those is an I am every one of them is that current maximum potential but you have to understand the influences of the home domain the social domain the biological and the I see how I see myself how I think other people see me and I think this is really really great advice and part of what we can do for our kids it's much more interesting to wonder where your kid is at than just to worry. And I could not agree more with Eugene. I say to my patients all the time, don't let anybody tell you parents that you are not the expert in your kid. Right. You're the expert. People like Dr. Barres and I, we're just the professionals. But the most important person is the kid. So let's really tune in and listen. So are there warning signs that parents should look for just in general for depression? I mean, not... And yeah. not just confined to COVID. Right. And, and again, you know, there's clinical depression uh, and the kids who have had histories of depression are more prone to that. But, you know, if you see your kids, so what are the signs of depression? You know, um, you see a change in mood. And for kids, it's usually not sadness and hand-wringing like adults. It's more of irritability and, you know, uh, crabbiness. Um, so uh, their sleep may be impaired their appetite, they may be eating more or less, um, their concentration may be diminished, they may be more withdrawn uh, or more aggressive. I mean, it can go either way with your kids. Um, uh, they may, uh, you'll see in general a behavioral change that's different from prior to this onset. And um, if you notice a behavioral change, it may, it may mean that they're, that they're depressed. Uh, so you have to ask. Um, and you have to ask how they're feeling and let them tell you. Yeah, I think a lot of parents get afraid to ask uh, in part because they don't either don't want to hear what their kid has to say or they don't know how to manage it once they hear it. Right. So I mean, it, it, it never hurts to ask. I mean, even even if, it, you know, even questions about suicide. I mean, so the, the myth is, is that if you ask a question, have you thought about just kind of like ending it all? And look, you know, for some kids who... For example, a senior in high school that is losing out on the prom, playing varsity sports, and and their and their games are canceled, um, and their 
going to go to college or they're going to go to work, and this is their last hurrah, it can be like the end of the world because teenagers, you know, the brain doesn't mature until 26. So for the 17, 18-year-old, they're still in an early form of, of their brain formation, and they're acting largely on impulse. And for them, it may feel like the end of the world. So to say to them, to ask them, you know, are you feeling so bad that you're not going to be playing in lacrosse championships or in the baseball? You know, you're not going to pitch, you know, you're for the final game in, you know, of the series. Um, are you feeling so bad that you've thought of hurting yourself? The myth is, is that you don't ask that question because you're going to put a seed in their mind and then they will do it. It's actually, if a kid is feeling helpless, hopeless, and like throwing in the towel, even though they may not do anything, asking about it is a relief because they want to talk about it. And that really is one of the keys that parents need to know is their kid does want to talk about it. Even that kid who, who may be sequestering themselves, isolating in their room, you know, you knock on the door. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and be available. I mean, you, you want them to know that you're available for any kind of questions and that you're going to respond to them in a non-judgmental way and you're not going to necessarily tell them what to do. I mean, you know, as I tell my, my parents and kids when I see them as families, I said, this is not a democracy <laughs> because the parents have to make the decisions and the kids rely on their parents for decisions. But at the same time, they rely on their parents to check in with them and to ask them how they're doing and to just listen. It's kind of like one of my favorite supervisors um, who passed a while ago. Um, she said uh, to me many times, um, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> mm. and, and, and parents need to be able to kind of just sit and listen and let their kids talk. I'm listening right now. <laughs> I'm listening. Well, it's, that, it's, that, it's also that theory of mind part of your I am approach, Dr. Joe, where <laughs> you think you know what they're thinking, right? You think you know what they're thinking, and how could you possibly know what they're thinking? Right. There is only one way to know. You ask them. Right. You ask them. Right. So depression is one of the things we're speaking about. Um, what about anxiety? Oh, well, anxiety is, is just, it's probably more important in this situation than depression. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anxiety, the root of anxiety is, you know, the fight or flight response, you know, where we get ready to survive or, you know, in one way or another. Um, and um, uh, we're all triggered in that way. So uh, anxiety is not a bad thing. Anxiety puts us in a state of preparedness. And actually, a little bit of anxiety keys us up and helps us get ready to perform well. I mean, right. the actor, the singer, the, uh, the, 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 the sports person, they, they will perform worse if they're not a little keyed up and anxious. It's when you reach a, too much of anxiety and it peaks that your performance goes down. So a little bit of anxiety, it's okay. But um, we want to be sure that our kids aren't so anxious that they become uh, paralyzed with fear uh, and that causes them to uh, either shut down or to, you know, lose their lose sleep, um, to uh, to feel threatened, um, uh, and to um, not 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 function 
uh, you know, in, in their academics because they're doing stuff online or not functioning with their friends to kind of uh, to freeze up. Yeah, and, and again, this is what Jean was talking about earlier. If the parents are anxious, their kids are going to recognize that. And this gets into, again, you know, the IC domain, wondering how other people are, but also mirror neurons that we've spoken about on the Dr. Cho show before. You know, you mirror other people's emotions. So with all of this potential for anxiety, I think, as you say, it, there's nothing wrong with anxiety. It's what you do with it. Exactly. And so one of the things kids and, and all of us need for anxiety is support. So social support. So, you know, um, talking with family members on FaceTime. My daughter called me tonight with my granddaughter. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they were anxious, uh, and so was I. But when we connected, it relieved that anxiety. So getting support from friends, from family, from uh, spiritual leaders, mentors, friends is really important in, in terms of containing it. Um, and also... Uh, providing reassurance. I mean, you know, I mean, we can't, you know, just like Yogi Berra said, you know, predictions are very hard, especially about the future. Right. So, so we can't predict what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. But what we can reassure our kids is that, look, uh, this is an illness that's going around. Young people are more likely to have milder cases than older people. Then, of course, they're going to be worried about you because you're an an older person you're an older person that's right but you know but then you could say to them what are you worried about but they need some reassurance that uh that there are plenty of folks around who are doing as much as we can to keep us all safe and protected and that's why we're at home because it's a way of keeping us and the rest of our communities safe the other thing that helps alleviate anxiety is empowerment if you feel paralyzed like you can't do anything um you're going to get more anxious and potentially depressed if you actually can do something. Wipe the tables. Wash your hands with each other. Sing happy birthday twice for 20 seconds with your younger siblings. Help your parents cook the meals. You know, uh, send out, you know, uh, emojis and, and funny YouTubes. I sent out three funny YouTubes today to friends to get them to smile, you know, uh, and uh, one was a one was a poodle that was giving advice about his two-legged friends from his, from the four-legged friends. But you know, those kinds of things that help us feel positive uh, and smile help alleviate anxiety. There's no substitute for laughter, and and you know, and sending and sending things out like that. I mean, those kinds of things lift lift the weight, the burden. Of, of anxiety and depression from everybody. About the anxiety, one of the first things that I learned from you guys at MGH McLean was never worry alone. Right. And, so, and it is something that I want everybody to know about right now while you are at home, never worry alone. And in part, that's what is amazing about social media. So the social media has both enhanced and increased our knowledge of Corona. Maybe it's, it's, sensationalize it in some ways but for those folks who were listening on atd you got a chance to hear a song of mine from one of my musicals which i wrote years ago about semmelweis the guy who discovered that you needed to wash your hands 
and no one believed him. And so the opening of Act Two was that song that you may have heard sung by Ray O'Hare, who was singing it way back when we were performing up here in Boston, and it was called Semmelwash, because people didn't believe him. And I want people to know that science is real, and this is real, and one way that you can save somebody else's life is by washing your hands. This is part of what we're doing together. But Gene, you and I were talking offline a bit about the herd thing, and do you want to just say a little bit about uh, your take on this? Well, I mean, look, let's let's uh, face it. Uh, to, you know, to the the scary thing is is that for for this virus to go away, we need to develop herd immunity. And what herd immunity means about 60 about two-thirds of the population 60 percent or more have to get infected so that they can develop the immunity and that that quantity eliminates the hosts that the viruses can actually live and thrive in either that or develop a vaccine now a vaccine is is realistically 18 months away no matter what people say um and even with a vaccine we know with the flu vaccine for example you know it, it's hit or miss i mean sometimes it's effective and sometimes it's not so effective. So um, I think all of us need to, you know, be prepared that we're going to we're going to catch it. Now the good news is is that 80% of you know cases are on the milder side, uh, even for older people. Um, so, uh, but uh, with that said, what we want to do, the reason two people talk about flattening the curve is we want to spread out the time that people will actually get this get like a cold because a coronavirus is a is a very severe cold um and that will build the immunity and that will that will help it go away uh and uh uh so you know be prepared you know and uh in time we're also going to learn a lot more about how to stop the serious side effects i mean they're looking at things that people have pneumonia so they're looking at chloroquine which is a malarial drug they're looking at various other things that help people that have severe cases um and um you know uh, we've got a lot of people working 24 7 trying to study what can actually th make things better and so the longer we stretch this out when we do get it there'll be a lot more ways of helping uh, to take care of us and for us to take care of ourselves Right. So, so let me just clarify what, what appears to be uh, sort of a, a contradiction by saying we need to have enough people in our community to catch it for us to have this thing called a herd immunity, H-E-R-D, not I've heard of an immunity, but right. herd immunity. And, and yet we're being asked to isolate. Right. So how, how, do, we, how do we sort of manage the paradox? And it's yep. what what Gina is saying is that if too many people get this at the same time, it's going to overwhelm our healthcare. So it's sort of weird, but, but we want just a few people to get it. Right. Uh, but then we want most people to get it. We want most, we want, well, to get rid of the virus short of a vaccine, we want most people to get it. But not all at the same time. Exactly. That's why they say flatten the curve. When they right. say flatten the curve, what that means is if you if you if you don't have a big peak, <laughs> if you spread it out over a long period of time, then you allow the hospitals and the first responders and the doctors and the nurses 
to actually take care of it. And when the doctors who've gotten it and tested positive get over it and they come back, those folks are going to be more capable of taking care of sick people because they've got the immunity. So what we really want to do is have a gradual exposure uh, and we don't want to enforce an exposure, but the more gradual the exposure is, the more people we have known to be immune and then those people can be recycled and come back and take care of sick folks and uh, we're spreading it, we're spreading it out. Right. Yep. So we've got, we've got about five minutes left tonight. Um, I want to just touch real quick, although it's not a quick subject, on adolescent substance use, because I know that that's also an area of interest, and we have spoken a bit about this, the vulnerable adolescent brain, what can parents do, and I know that, that you and I have, have maybe some disagreement on whether kids are going to be using or not. So let's talk about that for the last few minutes. What well, do you think? I, think, I think, look, not just kids using adults using. Mm. I mean, there's been this stuff in the news around Boston about keeping the recreational marijuana sites open. Interestingly, the liquor stores have stayed open. Now, all the other businesses are closed. Why are the liquor stores open? Okay. Alcohol because, dependency, right? <laughs> well, because alcohol is a very good anti-anxiety medication. However, when done in excess, it's very significant. It impairs the immune system, and it goes away. It, it, it's eliminated from the body in four to six hours, so you get this rebound of anxiety, and then you drink more. So substances are a way that people forever have used to help calm themselves down. But that being said, it's not as effective as other things. So meditation, exercise, yoga, as opposed to substances are much more helpful because they they don't create the kind of problems that alcohol or uh, THC or other medications uh, do. Yeah, and, and, and my concern is that we're going to have all these kids who are bored or potentially depressed or anxious or angry that they're not able to go to the prom, they're not able to play the sports, all the things we spoke about. And even though they may never have used before, they may find something in the cabinet and say, right. well, you've got nothing else to do. I might as well do this. What do you think, Gene? How, how do we help parents manage that one? Well, I think, I think uh, parents need to be aware that, uh, first of all, I think parents should keep medications out of the, out of the bathroom cabinet. <laughs> you know, I mean, medications uh, should be kept in secure places and out of the reach of anybody, especially kids and, and adolescents who might, want to just try something um uh, i think but also talking with your kids you know i mean again you know if you don't say anything if you don't say to them look you may be tempted to take something or smoke something or vape something or use something to help you ease ease up let's talk about that let's talk about what it does let's talk about what the consequences are let's talk about what you might be considering um, because open conversations and not just kids, censorship and prohibition have never worked. And they don't work with kids. If you prohibit something, they're going to test it out. So just have conversations and acknowledge the fact that uh, to alleviate stress, they may be tempted. And then eliminate the temptation. Agreed. And I want people to recognize that, that Dr. Bereson said speak with your kids, not to them. Right. Speak with them. 
Jim, we've got we've got about a minute and a half left. We ask all our guests this. The the IM has two rules. The first is small changes can have big effects. What small change can you suggest to parents uh, that can have a big effect right now on their kids? Uh, I would say um, do this, do a few small things that can help you put the oxygen mask on yourself first. <laughs> Just a few things to take care of. You can't take care of the person next to you, your kids, unless you take care of yourself. Do a few small things for yourself every day that we, whether it's taking a walk or whatever to take care of yourself. That's great. Second rules, you control no one, you influence everyone. What kind of influence are you hoping to be, Dr. Baresson? I would say parents need to practice, to remember that the kids are watching um, uh, and, and, and their role models and their behavior, talking to a friend, getting support, talking to a relative, talking to their parents, saying, what would you advise me to do, is a modeling for the kids about conversations and narratives that help us learn from and take advice from each other. Wonderful. We'll be here next week. Stay tuned. Did he do it for love or was he just being wild?